Good morning. Welcome virtually to Awaken Church. My name is Stephen. I am one of the deacons here. And uh, I'm excited to be closing out our series. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to the Zayas family. That um, it was, it was, a, it was a blessing. I really appreciate you all taking the time and investing and, uh, and leading us in worship this morning. It's, it's a blessing to hear. It's a blessing to be part of this with you. So thank you, thank you. Um, we are in a week, or, so we've been doing live streaming for what, nine months, years? Uh, I forget. Time has all blended together, and it's, uh, it is all just this constant uh, push. But we're going to be streaming for the, for, uh, until further notice right now, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely keep you guys updated. Um, for those who are joining via chat, I want to say a big uh, good morning. Thank you. Shout out. Uh, I see Kelly O'Brien's in there. He's in the back. Um, Anna, Frank, Laura's in here, both Nathan, Edwards, and Flores. Uh, Richard, Victor, Taylor, Francisco. It's really good to see you all. I wish I could give you all big hugs and, uh, and uh, just celebrate together, but it is, uh, it's a joy to know that we're all um, uh, checking in together. So over the last four weeks, um, we have been in a series called Just Go. And the goal of this series has been to help make evangelism simple. So over the last four weeks, Frank and Andrew have been going through topics uh, like, hey, how do we... Um, how do we approach the gospel? Because at its core, the gospel is a difficult message. The gospel essentially is saying to the world, it's, you're not good enough. And that's a difficult thing to say. It's a difficult thing to hear, to understand that we as humans, as people, are broken and not good enough. Um, in week two, Andrew tackled uh, what it looked like to leverage our relationships and to, uh, to look at who God has placed in our, in our lives already and, uh, and how do we invest in those relationships in an authentic and meaningful way. Uh, in week three, Frank talked about how one of the problems with uh, investing in relationships is that we are so often not mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually present when we're with people, that we're divided and we're distracted. And so being able to zero in and genuinely be present with people is a really key portion of being able to share the gospel. And then last week, uh, Frank talked about how everyone is not in the same spot when it comes to Christ. It's uh, people uh, may be tremendously far away, and so uh, helping them come a, a few steps closer uh, toward a decision for Christ is, uh, is, is progress and it's gain. And so being able to represent and continually represent um, Christ toward our relationships, toward the people that we're in relationship with, um, is an incredibly powerful thing. Today, what we're talking about is how you can use your testimony, how you can use your story to effectively share the gospel. And uh, I know folks that have grown up in the church, and testimony is a, uh, is a, is a common word, but we're going to talk about what it is, why we do it, um, how to do it more effectively, and I'm going to give you some practical tools on, on being able to share your testimony well. Uh, the problem, though, is that um, a lot of Christians have a really hard time uh, with testimony. Uh, it's difficult to succinctly communicate stuff in a, in a very simple, compact, meaningful, and also uh, genuine way. And so we feel stuck. We feel stuck like we can't actually communicate what's been done. We feel like we can't actually talk about what God's done for us. Um, and so that, that creates kind of a stalemate for, for a lot of folks. What makes this worse is that if you've grown up in the church, you've uh, likely heard a lot of really powerful, significant testimonies and uh, of, of people being saved from addiction or uh, coming, uh, coming to Christ through prison or coming from uh, gangs or like really difficult situations. And if you got saved at six it's got you thinking like, man, I should have joined a gang when I was four 
That way, when I actually made a commitment when I was six, it would have been a real testimony, but I don't have a testimony because I just grew up in it. This is the environment that I grew up in. And it makes a lot of people feel like they don't have a testimony, which is not true. The reality is, is that your testimony begins with your salvation story, but it is a continually unfolding process of what Christ has done and what he is continuing to do. And so by the end of today, my hope is that we will understand three things. One, why testimony is so powerful, why we do it at all, why it matters in the least. Uh, two, what your testimony actually is, because it's more than just your salvation story, or it can be more than just your salvation story. Um, and so I want to kind of broaden the scope of what that looks like so that you, you feel a bit more freedom to approach it. And then finally, uh, we're going to talk about how. Um, my, my work involves a lot of communication, a lot of messaging, a lot of, uh, a lot of positioning. And so um, I'm going to give you some practical tools on how to actually construct a testimony, how to construct your testimony and communicate it in a powerful and authentic way. If you've been joining us for the last streaming, uh, any streaming uh, service, you know that we have activities for kids. So today is no different. Um, today, kids get paper, get pencil, crayons, and uh, here's the picture prompt I want you to draw. Um, draw a picture of something that happened to you in the last week or so, something significant, something fun, something that you're excited to tell people about. Um, and, uh, and just put that into picture format. If you're a little bit older, you can make it into cartoon panels if you want and kind of get a little bit more linear with your storytelling. But you can uh, just draw a picture of something that happened. Uh, parents take pictures. Be sure to sign the kids' names and uh, text those to awakenqna at gmail.com. We've got some time at the end where we can all enjoy those together. So the, uh, the first part that I want to talk about is the big why. You know, Simon Sinek talks about begin with why or start with why. So we're going to talk through why testimony is even on the table that we're discussing. Because uh, if we miss the big why, how, and what, and when, none of it else makes sense. So I want to take a little bit of time to talk through why. Why do we share testimony and not just theology, or not just doctrine, or not just a list of things that people can choose to agree with or not agree with? Um, all of those are more compact. They're less messy. Why can't we just put the logic on the table, let people evaluate it, and make decisions? Why does our personal story interact with this at all? Uh, I think for three reasons. First is that the gospel is not primarily about convincing people. The gospel is not primarily about convincing people to make a mental decision to do something. There is mental change that happens. There are decisions that are made, but the gospel is not primarily about convincing people. It is about loving people and bringing them from death to life. And when you love somebody, you share yourself with them. You share yourself with them. You invite them in. You open and you become vulnerable. And a significant portion of that is being able to open up your chest and say, this is where I've come from. This is what God has done for me. And this is what he's doing in my life. And this is what you can experience as well. And so because it's not primarily about convincing people, it's about loving people and introducing them to Christ, um, story plays a massive impact. If there's no story, there's no glory. If there's no story of what God has done, then there's no glory of what God has done. The glory is embedded into the story of what he has done. Um, one of my favorite passages in the Gospels is when Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well in John 4. And there's a lot of reasons why I love it. Um, one is just how it ends. And uh, uh, if you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with the story. Uh, if you're not, it's in John 4. It's a tremendous read. Um, we're not going to pack through the, the middle part of it. We're just kind of going to fast forward to the end of how, of how that story ends. In John 4, verse uh, 28, it goes like this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come 
See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then later in verse 39, it ends. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Her testimony opened up the door for Christ to be able to come in and do what Christ does every time he enters a room. He changes, he shows, he raises from the dead. That's what he does when he enters the room. Testimony is what opened the door. The connection of heart to heart and soul to soul is what opened the door for Christ to be able to walk in and bring the gospel to the Samaritans, a highly neglected people group in that time, through a woman, a highly marginalized demographic in that time. And that's what he does. He uses story to open the door. And that's what your testimony has the ability to do. So first is that it's not about convincing people, it's about loving people. It is about bringing and introducing Christ into the scenario. And Christ raises people from the dead, and that's what we're trying to do. The second reason is that very often, in my experience, people uh, do not have an intellectual problem with God. Very often it is not an intellectual doctrinal problem where they say, I disagree with that tenet, therefore I'm making the logical choice to proceed down this path. Very often, there is a hurt. Very often the hurt is deep, and very often it is shrouded and protected. And the only way to get there, like they have a story of why they have a problem with God. They have a story of why there's something between them and God. And so you walking in and saying, this is my story, it meets their heart toward their heart. It bypasses the intellectual part of their brain, and it says, this is what my experience has been, and they have to meet you as a human experiencing something. And then uh, there's a much more easy open door. I've shared the gospel a lot of times with folks, and uh, very frequently there will be a, uh, an intellectual objection. And uh, someone will say, yeah, but if someone was uh, born on a desert island and they never had the chance to hear the name of Jesus and they died, does that mean that they uh, aren't going to heaven because they never heard about Jesus? Many similar ones. Uh, can God make something bigger than he can move? Uh, angels on the head of a pin. Uh, the inerrancy of scripture. They'll, they'll put out specific tenets or specific objections that come from their mind. And uh, I, I originally would go down and engage with, and I just found it was fruitless. It was, not, it was not penetrating to where I knew their heart was. And so what I did instead was I would say, that is a really good question. It's honestly a really good question. And I would love to walk through and, and help process that answer. If you want, we can get together every week for coffee at Starbucks, and, uh, and we can tackle that together. And I would love to do that with you for as long as it takes, because I care about you. But here's the thing. If we move that objection out of the way, if we sufficiently address that objection, are you going to surrender your life to Christ? Is that, is that what is between you and Christ? Are you going to be able to surrender your life to Christ? Without a doubt, without any exception, uh, the answer has always been, well, no. So, okay, then it's not between, if it's not between you and Jesus, then it's interesting, but it's not critical. I'm not, inter I'm not as interested in things that are just theoretical debates. They're interesting, and I'd love to discuss them with you. But what is between you and Jesus? Like, what happened there? And then that starts triggering a story, and you have the ability to open up your chest and share a story and match their story, and then you have the ability to introduce them to Jesus through that. 
So that's why. Is that most, uh, that's number two, is that people often don't have an intellectual problem with Jesus. They have a, a story that is deep inside their chest, and you matching their story or meeting their story um, helps unlock that. The, uh, the third piece is that it just so happens, by coincidence, I'm sure, that story is the most compelling way to transmit ideas. Story is the most compelling way to transmit ideas. Nothing packages and transports an idea, a philosophy, a belief, a faith, a relationship better than a story does. Um, even from back when, uh, from Aristotle, even before, the idea of what a story is, um, is, a, is a specific structure. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But nothing is more compelling and more able to communicate an idea better than a story does. Which is why I can tell you about a statistic um, of, a, of a tragedy, and it only affects your brain. It might penetrate a little bit to your heart. But if I tell you a story, a single story, it penetrates your heart, and then it makes its way up to your brain. And then it makes its way out to your hands. But it starts in your heart. When I think about storytellers and the ability to tell stories, uh, I think the team at Pixar does an incredible job of telling stories. If you have not teared up at a Pixar movie, you might not be a human person. So I've got a, uh, one of their shorts I wanted to show to you, and then we're going to unpack it. So if we can, uh, if we can play it, that would be great. Um, this is a, uh, a Pixar short. You just watched a philosophical argument for a specific kind of worldview. You just watched a communication of ideas and values and philosophy comprised in a couple of animated lamps. Here are the truths, or some of the truths, that were packed into that very brief video. One, when we grow up, we often lose our childlike sense of wonder, and that's a shame. Two, children often remind us uh, what the kind of people that we ought to be, which is playful, we have to be adventurous, we have to be full of wonder, and we have to be resilient when we encounter a problem. Three, when you encounter a problem, don't stay down too long. Go find another ball and try to jump on top of that one next. And there's many more. There's a lot of stuff that you could unpack from that. But it was just a couple of lamps kicking a ball around, right? The story was communicating specific ideas and philosophies. And that is incredible that we can pack ideas and uh, that we can pack these ideas into a story and then it communicates directly to it. If you were to just put out a list and say, hey, do you agree that as adults we often lose our childlike sense of wonder? Yes. Do you agree that children often remind us that we should be more resilient? Well, yeah. Do you agree that when you encounter a problem that you, uh, you shouldn't stay on too long, that you should you know, resiliently jump back up and get another one? Well, yeah. But has that touched you? Has that motivated or inspired you? If I gave you a checklist and you say, yes, I agree, yes, I agree, yes, I agree. Com mission completion, right? But what this does is it actually stirs us toward remembering and having an identity toward those ideas. It's like this time-release capsule that you can pack this ideology in and then drop it into the human heart, and then it releases inside, rather than it just going through the brain, getting filtered, cataloged, and then, uh, and then dismissed. So story is an incredible piece because it gets to the heart. So I want to talk about what a testimony is. And, uh, and, and help broaden a little bit of the, the spectrum of what a testimony is for you. Um, first, the story that you're telling when it comes to your testimony of what Christ has done, your story is not actually your story. Or rather, your story is not actually about you. You are not the subject of your story. Um, there, is a, uh, there is an arc and a structure to what a story actually is. It's very old. It goes back to Aristotle and even before he articulated what a story structure is 
which means that every movie you can think of essentially has the same structure, and it is either conforming to or intentionally breaking that structure. Um, and it has an emotional response uh, from, from people because we understand intuitively what a story is. There are many, many, many points of what could comprise a story. I'm going to distill it down to just four. And we're going to talk about four common key points in every story so that we can better understand the gospel, our testimony, and then, uh, and then how to continually um, share our testimony with others. Those four pieces are the hero. Every story has a main character. Every story has a hero that it's focusing on. Every story has a problem. So there's uh, something that's keeping the hero from getting what they want. Uh, there's always a guide. And the guide character is the most fascinating to me. So there's, there's always a guide that comes in and helps the hero navigate their problem. And then finally, there's always character transformation. So the hero becomes a different kind of person by the end of the story than they were at the beginning of the story. So for the sake of this exercise, go ahead and think of, uh, of any story. Um, you can just think of your favorite movie. You can think of a, a common movie. Um, just whatever comes to mind, just keep that uh, story in your mind. And uh, I will, uh, let me guess the plot for you. The hero wants something, but something is keeping them from getting it. They encounter a guide who relates to them and has the power to help them. The guide helps them navigate a series of problems to the end where the hero becomes a different kind of person because of the process they went through. Um, that guide, the hero is very often easy to identify. The problem is very often easy to identify. And how the character is changed by the end is often very easy to identify. That guide character is, uh, is very significant. And if in the movie you're thinking of or the story you're thinking of, the guide does not immediately leap to your mind of who, who that person is that's helping the hero uh, achieve what they're trying to achieve, um, I promise you, it's there. Sometimes it's very artistically done, like sometimes it's a concept or a philosophy, but the, the guide is always present. And uh, the guide um, helps the hero navigate a series of obstacles. So as, for example, um, we'll just take some common examples. Moana. In Moana, the guide is the grandmother. She emotionally relates to, and she has the authority to help. She gives her a plan of how to execute, right? The ocean also teases as a guide throughout the, uh, the story. Um, the Incredibles, Edna moans. Right? She has the ability, she, has the, she understands them emotionally, and she has the authority to, uh, to help them. Lord of the Rings, Gandalf. Gandalf is a guy, there's actually many guys throughout the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but Gandalf is one of the most poignant. Hunger Games, Hamish. Hamish emotionally understands what Katniss is going through and has the authority to help her, has the ability to help her through. Lion King, Rafiki. It's Rafiki. He, has the, he, has the, he was there at the beginning, and he has the authority to help, and he gives him a plan to, to discover his own identity. Star Wars, Yoda. There are many throughout Star Wars. Um, I would say that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a, is, a, is a kind of guide. Many guides throughout it, but uh, um, Yoda is also a, a, a significant guide. Here's the cool part about how this translates to the gospel. We started out in our journey as the hero. And I don't mean hero, big H, Jesus is the hero and the goal of our praise and worship, right? I mean, the, the hero is the main character in my narrative. That I began as where I was the main king of my own kingdom. I was the main uh, hero of my own story. And I encountered a problem, right? The problem was sin corrupts and brings us into death. And I don't know how to reckon with that. I'm far from God. I am distant God. There's something broken, right? Enter a guide, Jesus. He wrote to us in every way, and he has the authority to help, right? He checks off both of the guide character pieces. Um, so he enters as our guide and helps us undergo character transformation. We become a new creation. 
And the cool part is that the character transformation moves us from hero in our own story to son in his kingdom. And so we become part of this kingdom inside this guide's kingdom that he is creating. And so our piece, when we tell our story, we tell a story not about ourselves. We tell a story in which we are a character, but we are magnifying and highlighting the guide. We are highlighting Christ and what he did because what he did is significant and what he did is impactful and what he can do for the person you're talking to is significant and impactful and life-changing. And so your story is not primarily about you. You are a character in it. But the story is about the arc of this guide and how the guide is helping. If you start telling a story where you are the central focus, you can watch the person's eyes glaze over because they are the hero in their own story. And when a hero has a problem, they do not seek out another hero. They seek out a guide. They always seek out a guide. And so there's something deep in them that is looking for a guide to help them. And when you enter and you speak about yourself or uh, your process, your story where you are the central character, when two, when two heroes are in, uh, are, uh, interact, they're in different stories. They're in different timelines. There's a, it's an overlap, but they, don't, they do not uh, meet in the same storyline. I said earlier that your testimony can be, and uh, I would humbly argue it ought to be um, more than just your, the first time you encountered Christ or the first time. I will challenge you to say your testimony begins there. And it is this constantly unfolding testimony that goes from the moment you were born to the moment you were reborn all the way through to this exact moment. It is my prayer that today is part of, your, is part of that testimony where you can say, I used to struggle with this and then God revealed me God revealed something to me, and now I'm able to see something on the other side. My prayer is that even today is part of your testimony. Um, so a testimony is any time Jesus shows up and does something that changes you. And so if you're thinking about, hey, what, what, are, what is my testimony? What are testimonies that I have um, that I've actually experienced? Look and think through and say, when were the times in my life when Jesus showed up and did what only Jesus could do? make a list. It is an act of worship to remember all of the good things that Christ has done. It is an act of worship to remember every single time Jesus showed up in your life and did something significant. And guess how many testimonies you have? You've got a list mile high of what Jesus has done. And so when you're saying, hey, I don't know how to share my testimony, your testimony is anytime Jesus showed up. And so if, you, if you're having a hard time thinking about or recognizing times when Jesus showed up in your life and did something— one of two things is wrong. Either you're not paying attention because he is constantly working or you need to spend more time with him. You need to surrender some more things to that guide. You need to be guided by this guide because where he shows up and who he leads changes us every single time. I want to transition into some more practicals. Um, so far, we've been talking about the big why and what it is. I want to transition into some practicals of how you actually construct a story based on this story structure that we've been talking about. And uh, by the end, I want to make sure that you have some practical tools and uh, that we're able to reckon with these, what I call mirror moments in the gospel, where when, uh, when Jesus says, hey, before you look at the speck in your brother's eye, I want you to address the log in your own eye. And so there are, there are these built-in mirror moments throughout the gospel where he says, as I'm calling you to ministry, as I'm calling you to speak, 
own your motives. Check your motives and assess yourself. And if something is wrong, humbly get down and come back home because I've got, more, I've got work to do. And I'm going to send you out broken, but you've got to be able to come back home uh, to be able to be worked on. So how do you tell your testimony? How do you construct a story that is either a couple sentences, a couple minutes, or a, a memoir long, right? The overall structure of a story is the same. There is a, a very similar arc throughout every single story. Uh, once you see it, it's hard to unsee. And uh, once you uh, start doing it, you start getting in the rhythm of being able to identify the testimony even while you're in it. Even while you are still in the middle of the testimony, you're able to identify and say, I've seen this before. This pattern looks familiar. Jesus comes through. I've seen this. So this is the overall structure. Problem, guide, transformation. These are these big pillars in a story, and you can, you can see them in Finding Nemo. You've got a problem, you've got a guide, Dory, and you've got a transformation. He becomes less uh, um, critical of his son, and he's able to trust more. You see a problem in every single story. I don't know if I can make it through the Hunger Games. I meet Hamish, I become a different kind of person. I actually become a kind of guide, right? So those are the three big structures of what make up a story. It has to start with a problem, it has to move to a guide, and it has to involve some type of character transformation. Um, which means your testimony always starts with a problem. Because every story starts with a problem. If there is no problem, there is no story. Imagine me telling you, uh, recapping the plot line to Taken, where uh, Liam Neeson, his daughter is taken in Europe, he, he flies across the, uh, across the ocean, he lands, turns out it was a big misunderstanding, they, uh, she was, got lost at the mall, her friend thought she got taken, and uh, they spend the next 90 minutes going shopping and talking about college plans. There's no problem. There is no story. The problem is existence sustains the tension throughout the story. And so when you're talking about your testimony, it is not enough to just say, Jesus is the answer. He is, but the person you're speaking to is going to say, answer to what? Answer to what problem? I don't know what the problem is yet. Um, if you just talk about the transformation, transformation from what to what? Who were you? What are you talking about? So the logical linear build of any testimony, any story, is you start with the problem, you move to the guide, and then you finish with the transformation. Um, what are some examples of problems? I mean, if you don't know what a problem is, but a, a problem is uh, anything that is, uh, is keeping you from God, anything that is uh, difficult, anything that is uh, uh, harming you, right? Pride, addiction, lack of connection, um, inability to trust God, fear of intimacy, um, uh, cyclical doubt, depression. These are, these are all problems that people struggle with on every single day, which means every problem is the entry point or the starting line of a testimony. So when you're in a problem, recognize that this is the start of a testimony. This is the start of some way that Christ is going to move. And I don't know how long the story is going to take, but I know the direction it's going to take because it always takes that. The, uh, the second piece is the guide. This is, what did Jesus do? What happened? You were struggling with a problem. Everyone's struggling with a problem. What was different about this problem that led you somewhere else? When you're looking at the arc of the story, you're starting with a problem. That's how the world is. You arc toward the guide, and then you end on where the, what, how you were transformed in the end. Uh, Character transformation is, the, is how you end. Um, every single story, the main character undergoes some sort of transformation. They become a different kind of person. And uh, this is called the obligatory ending or the climactic scene. And uh, what it does when you end on this 
is it reminds people subtly that life does not have to exist like the problem, that life can be different and the path is through this guide. Um, it leaves kind of an echo in the air of this could be you. This could be your story. Uh, if you struggle with that, you can overcome as well. Um, and a lot of this may seem logical. Like, of course you would start at the beginning, move to the middle, and go to the end. Um, but you'll be surprised how, frequently it is, how frequent it is to try to construct a story and you forget. Oh yeah, I spent this much time talking about the problem, this little time talking about the guide, and I didn't even mention the transformation. Um, and so uh, being able to understand those three pillars can help you construct a balanced and compelling uh, narrative for people. And again, if you are unsure, if you get to the problem, you're like, hey, look, I did have this problem. This is something I definitely struggle with. Jesus came in. He's the guide. And you kind of pause at the character transformation. You say, have I transformed? Have I become a different kind of person? Have I actually become a new creation? Is there something that has actually changed in me? That's a pause mirror moment where you need to humbly pause and say, let me go back to the guide because maybe this part of the story isn't complete yet. Maybe he's still working on this. Maybe this is less of a testimony and a direction of where he wants to continue to sanctify me. Um, and so if you encounter that pause moment uh, in, in, the, in the third step, consider spending intimate time with your guide, with Jesus, because he is trying to guide you into character. He's trying to guide you into becoming a different kind of person. And so that's just my, that's my encouragement to you. Yes, there are practicals how you construct this, but your testimony must be true. It cannot be fabricated. It cannot be a fable. It can't be aspirational. It has to be true. That's what makes it a testimony. You don't go into court and give your testimony about what you hope happened or what you plan for something to happen. A testimony is what has happened. You testify to something that has actually happened. And so look for that third step. And if it's not there, Go back to step two and keep camping because he's doing something wonderful there. A testimony is talking about the wonderful thing that he has done. So if there's a pause, go to step two and keep camping there. In a few minutes, we're going to take a look at some kids' pictures. So if you, uh, kids, if you are still working on them, go ahead and wrap them up. Parents, picture, sign, awaken Q&A. We're going to get them queued up and take a look at them. I'm kind of excited. I like, I like uh, looking at the kids' stuff. Um, but first, I would love to share a, a recent testimony with you guys. We've been talking about testimony as a uh, structure, and so I kind of want to just show you what it looks like an example. Uh, pay attention to problem, guide, and transformation. Um, our house, where my wife and two boys live, is infested with mold. Uh, it has been for we don't know how long, but we discovered it about three or four weeks ago. And they have uh, sequentially torn out walls and ceilings and AC ducts and showers. And we've been displaced from our home for the last three weeks. And uh, it has been difficult. But through this process, my wife and I were talking and uh, we were recalling all of the times previously when God has provided for us. And we were reminded that our hope, our stability, our kingdom has never been in stuff. It's not in things. It's not in our ability. Um, it has always been in something rooted in eternity. And he has never not provided for us. He has always seen us through. And what that did for us is it, it has given us an incredible amount of peace in an incredibly 
tumultuous situation, incredible peace to be able to say, we trust and we are thankful for what God is doing because he is doing something. And even if we can't see it yet, we know he is doing something and we are grateful and thankful. Um, can you do something like that? Can you create a, a similar structure of those three things? Of course you can. Absolutely. It is not as daunting as you might have emotionally felt it was. It is broader than you might have thought it was. And so you have more opportunities to be able to pay attention and listen for problems, pay attention to the problems you've experienced, and be able to genuinely connect heart to heart with the people that you're trying to love. Because that is the goal, is to be able to connect them with the gospel. <clears throat> Last piece is that you remembering the testimonies of God, what he's done in your life, builds your faith for future problems. It builds your faith for the future and telling it to each other and telling it to others builds the faith of other people as well. Other people are blessed and honored when you transmit that faith through a story into them and they say, there is a guide. There is a way to make through this. And so that's what I'm really excited about. We're gonna take a look at some of the kids' pictures and then I've got some final thoughts before we wrap and, uh, and we'll do a uh, we'll do a uh, final wrap up for today. Do we have the pictures up? All right. Ooh, Helena. Let's see. Um, eat cake. Yum. Trip. Happy birthday, Helena. Uh, happy birthday. So it was a birthday party. That's amazing. So um, you got to eat cake, which is delicious. And uh, Helena is really grateful that she got to eat cake at Tripp's birthday party. That is a great story. I wish every story ended in eating cake. That would make every story amazing. I built a bird feeder, Trip Paul. Dude, that's awesome. So the problem was the birds didn't have enough place things to eat or you didn't get to see them enough. And so you consulted your parents, who are your guides, built a bird feeder, and now you get to see birds every day. That's amazing. My bird, we do have a bird feeder at our house. Well, it's still at our house, I assume. And, uh, but the, the squirrels continually eat the bird feed out of, our, out of our bird feeder. And so I've trained my two-year-old to um, call them dirty, rotten squirrels. And so he refuses to call squirrels squirrels. He says, no, daddy, dirty, rotten squirrels. And I say, good job, bud. Um, Christopher, lake house. Yes, Christopher got to visit us at the lake house that we were staying. And um, he, is, uh, he has been having a blast. And um, yes, yeah, so they got to visit us and... Uh, yeah, if you're going to be displaced, getting displaced to a lake house is not a bad place to, uh, to get stuck. Uh, Caitlin, I, uh, I went to North Carolina. Oh, Caitlin, North Carolina is my favorite place in the entire world. Um, it, is, uh, it is Narnia to me. Um, I love it. And actually, the Dubais brought me back North Carolina water in a, uh, a two-liter, and I drank all of it last night uh, while I was putting the final touches on this sermon. So I've got... Um, I've got Narnia water coursing through my veins. Um, uh, <laughs> Poppy gave me my little bright. Susie, what's a little bright? Does anybody know? Oh, what's the light bright? Is it like a nightlight? Oh, you put the little, oh, I've seen those things. I didn't know what they were called. That's awesome. I've just been educated. My kids are still a bit too young for those, and so I'm sure we will get there. Uh, eat cake? Yeah. Are we, did we loop? Or are there more? Uh, Sam and Charlie, chaotic fun. Those are my boys. They are chaotic fun. Um, they are one and two, almost two and three. And that is actually an accurate depiction of their foot traffic um, in our house. That is, uh, that's actually a, an exact line of how they walk. 
Uh, Noah playing in mud. Good job, Noah. I am sure you had a blast playing in mud. I've not played in mud in a long time. I should probably do that. So thank you for reminding me about the childlike wonder that I should be appreciating. Uh, Corbin experienced something, and it was significant. I am, uh, there's a tree. I'm going to assume that's a tree. Um, and you guys can play outside. It looks like swords, maybe? I don't know. It looks, it looks incredible. I'm glad you had a fun time, Corbin. Ah, oh, hard man. All right. Um, a karma, uh, karma cream, Gainesville, Florida, eating ice cream as a family. Oh, it's a lot of ice cream and cake. In the last bit. That's amazing. Oh, and you drew an aerial picture of the table and their seating placement. That is, that is fantastic. I love that. All the way to Gainesville to get good ice cream. Amazing. Thank you, kids. I really appreciated that. I, uh, I love hearing about the amazing stuff because it does. It reignites a childlike wonder in me. Now I want to go to Gainesville and eat ice cream and, uh, and play in mud. Um, a couple final thoughts. Um, guys, how did God reveal himself to his people? He revealed himself to us in story. He, he, is he, is, he has created a chronology of his good work through story. He's embedded it in our hearts. And we get to retell that story and re-echo and reconnect and be part of this ongoing uh, process. There's, a, uh, there's a, a fact that every organization exists as a resistance to something. That we all exist as a resistance to something. Guys, the church exists not as this utopic place. We, resist, we exist as a resistance to something. There is something that we are pushing against and refusing to give ground to, and we are pushing against to be able to advance the kingdom. Um, our testimony is not nothing. Our testimony is how we remember and echo God's banner of what he is doing through his church, how he advances his kingdom. And it is big. It is significant. I think of the verse in Revelation 12, 11, where he says, they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony with Christ's blood, overcomes Satan. That is incredible. We are part of something. We are moving something forward. And your testimony is powerful, not because you've led an interesting life. Many of us have not. Your testimony is significant because God is powerful and he changes everything he touches. And so pay attention to what he is touching and how he is changing it. And every single problem becomes this entry point for God's glory. But it is easy to pay attention to the problem and not realize that the problem is the cue for the guide, is the cue for the transformation. And so pay attention because testimony is constantly around us and it is an incredibly powerful tool to advance the kingdom. Last piece I want to say is that God has a tremendous heart for the people you are in relationship with. And he has not placed you in their proximity by accident. He has placed you in their proximity on purpose. And he has armed you with your testimony, with your story, with countless stories of how he's worked in your life in proximity so that you can transmit that to them through story. God has an incredible heart for people. So don't let fear, lack of preparation, uh, anxiety, anything keep you from touching and reaching the people that God has put in your circle. Because love does not just stay complacent with thinking the right things and behaving the right way. Love does not just see other people and say, oh, I don't want to bother them. Love acts. 
Love communicates, love transmits, love transfuses life into the people around us. That's what love does. And so I'd encourage you, work on, for, work on your story. Pay attention to what God is doing. And I promise you, he's going to keep doing incredible things because that's what he does. Thank you. Have an incredible Sunday. Bless you all. I am excited for the day when all of these chairs are full uh, with more than the Zayas family lovingly listening and, and, uh, and paying attention. So I'm excited for the day we get to gather, get up, to gather back together. Um, uh, last reminder, pick up your kids from kids care. Just kidding. They're in your living room. All right. Thank you. Have a great uh, Sunday.